three, two, one, roll the footage! Welcome back, everybody, to the Strategy Show. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today, our guest invests in early stage companies and has an obsession to see entrepreneurs succeed. He works with his family office based out of Mumbai, India, which covers the whole world and is led by top 10 angel investor Sanjay Mehta. He's part of the investment committee that evaluates and invests in unlisted US companies. He's building up expertise on international transactions and investments through working with early stage founders. Welcome everybody, Herschel Meta. Pleasure, pleasure to be on the show. Happy to- So uh, cool to have you here. Happy to share my insights. Yes, I'm so curious what excites you, what do you see out there, what excites you? And you have brought three CEO tips, how to invest better, how to provide value, and you will share with us what excites you, industries that you like. So what are you currently creating? So, you know, I, I started investing, you know, formally a few years back, um, you know, leading my own deals. Before that, I was part of the family's investments, but, but now, you know, kind of full-fledged and, and autonomous. Um, so, so currently, you know, the family has quite a large presence in India, having invested in over a hundred Indian startups, and um, you know, we've we've cemented ourselves or wedged ourselves um, as legitimate investors out there. So, you know, my my strategy essentially was you know, with, with a country like India that that's emerging, um, that we see you know, kind of growing uh, at a pace that you know. That's frankly quite astonishing. Um, it becomes a very viable market, and part of the reason why is it's just sheer number of individuals. Also, you, you have the you have the the second largest English speaking population in the world after the United States, and then and then thirdly, you have 650 million people under the age of 27. Um, you know, for for these reasons, the market is very appealing, especially for for international. Uh, companies. So, you know, when 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 if you're a U.S. company, if you're you know LATAM company, uh, you do want to eye India as a potential expansion point in a few years. So, you know, I've been kind of helping U.S. companies with their go-to-market strategy. It, it, it's very challenging if you're early stage to navigate the subcontinent, but it's something you can't ignore. So, uh, you know, we're working with startups, and, you know, analyzing does it make sense today? What do you need to do? That kind of stuff. So what I'm building now actually is um, focused on India. Uh, the, the reality is that we're we're looking at a at a geography that is 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 very appealing from a talent perspective and then from a market perspective. And uh, some of the major trends that we're noticing is that you know over the past forty years, um, India is one of our countries that was a victim of what we call a brain drain, meaning that if you were in the top percent of talent, it, it was hard to justify staying in the subcontinent. And the re the reason was, was the market did not meet your potential as an individual. Uh, the market has since now caught up. And now with the recent wave of nationalism and in a country that is identified, you know, has a self-identity, um, this has become uh, too, too large to ignore. And, and you have a young population 
that is naturally you know close to STEM. Uh, huge, huge numbers of engineers, huge numbers of people that have foreign experience and are now building in India for the world. Um, and then on top of it, you have market conditions that have led to hundreds of millions of people entering into a middle class with disposable income. So this has become a hugely attractive market, not only from 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 an international perspective, but even a domestic perspective. So currently I'm launching a vehicle specifically focused on Gen Z founders in India, realizing that the, this, this population is just too young and too smart to ignore. So trying to double down and figure out opportunities where to get in on these uh, you know, early stage young startups, specifically focusing on 650 million people under the age of 25 is where, is where um, I'll be spending a lot of my time going forward. Exciting. And what trends do you see and are, are you exploring in the scouting for? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, what, what's fascinating to me is when you look at, you know, kind of how markets develop, uh, it, it starts with like massive consumerism. So you have to have an area that is willing to buy stuff um, and, and then whatever they buy has to be of value right, to them at that moment. So when I look at India with the third largest purchase power parity behind uh, the United States and, and China, it's, it's very evident that this is a consumer market. But the reality is if you're a startup and you want to sell to consumers and you want to, you really want to crack that code of providing values, value to an individual, you have to have deep consumer insights. You have to know the customer like like b even before they know themselves. It's kind of like that, that idea of, of, You know, when you feel like Facebook is spying on you, oh, they're, they're listening to my conversation because the ad popped up. No, Facebook is just smart enough to know that that's what you were going to talk about before you even talked about it. So that kind of consumer insight, when, when entrepreneurs can tell me something I don't know or give me some sort of knowledge on if this is what young people um, want or crave and I have data backed reasoning to show it, I get very excited. And then when you're looking at a digitally native population, especially Gen Z around the world, um, technology is to kind of be going to be the first point of, of consumerism. So, you know, when I'm used to, you know, you know, making or spending money just via my iPhone, and then um, on top of it, now I'm going to be used to making money on my iPhone. Um, it, it's clear that tech is going to be the driving force for, for commerce to come, especially in markets around the world. If I have to pinpoint one, one place in particular I'm very excited about, it, it's marketplaces. Um, you know, when, when I look at a young population, my, my consumer insight is they don't put up with inefficiency. There is no middleman. There's no call this person, call this person, and then finally you'll get to what you need to go. Everything needs to be direct. You know, no one's calling a cab service and saying, hey, you know, this is where I'm at. You know, come get me. You, you need to remove those middlemen. And so a country that's bogged down with inefficiencies actually creates a lot of room for opportunities. And this is the reality of every developing nation, right? These countries have a lot of Minutemen type positions and those will all be eliminated in the next 20 years by technology. So that, that's where I'm very, very bullish on. Absolutely. And I'm curious who you nominate for the award. If you could only pick one person when everybody is zigging, this person is zagging. But from your perspective, they're doing the right thing. Who is this person? So when I look at 
particularly, you know, if I'm talking about startups and if I'm going to focus on India, which is actually the third largest startup ecosystem on the planet, um, the word would have to be kind of insular to, to, to my cousin who launched, Sanjay Mehta, who launched 100x.vc. Um, this is tr tremendous what he's doing. See, see what, what happens in a developing nation um, like India that has unicorns, that has tech that has popped up, is you basically have three buckets of founders. You have a first bucket of founders who are individuals who have sold a company. You know, this is their second go around. And because there's enough capital inflow into the country, those people can raise an ungodly amount by anybody they want at any valuation they want. That's one bucket. Then you have a second bucket, which are networked individuals, perhaps an early employee at one of these companies or somebody like yourself who has a podcast, who is plugged into the network, is able to go ahead and, and create a solution to a problem and raise a seed round with relative ease. And then you have this third bucket, which is this raw under 25-year-old founder coming from tier two to tier four cities who, who just doesn't have that exact network just yet. And what, what I see, what, what he's building is actually something to really kind of hone in on that third bucket of entrepreneurs. And that to me is phenomenal. And the companies he's dug up and, and, and the movement these founders have had while going through 100X, it's something very special is being built there. When you, when you democratize access to venture networks for a population, similar to what YC did 10 years ago, um, seeing what he's doing in India, this is phenomenal, not only for, for us, but just for the entire system in general. Uh, you're, you're giving a lot of people a chance to, to create something, and more importantly, you're unlocking their imagination. So from an execution perspective, this is tremendous what he's doing. So if I was going to nominate somebody for the Strategy Award, it would be Sanjay Mehta of 100x.vc. Beautiful. Your CEO tip number one, how to invest better. Yeah, um, this is... This is very challenging. I think a lot of investors, including myself, uh, we look for certain signaling and momentum um, within round, financing rounds. Um, the reality is like this is hard, right? You're going to run into chicken and egg issue all the time. How do I get momentum without somebody taking that first step, right? Um, so when it when it comes to investing, um, this kind of herd mentality, it, it doesn't work. You, you have to have conviction. You have to have a thesis. And it takes time. It, it takes mistakes. It takes bad investments to actually refine that. So, you know, once you kind of hone in on what you like to see and what you know works and what doesn't work, you're able to make better judgment calls. On top of it, you should be able to gauge founders a lot easier. So kind of walking them through a rubric, making sure they understand basic accounting fundamentals is something I'm very, very bullish on. So having them walk me through their balance sheet, walk me through their income statement, these are all diligence items I do beforehand now. So if a founder does not understand basic fundamentals of accounting, I, I, I don't think that they're going to be a great business individual. This is like, you know, one-on-one type stuff. So um, I would say if... As an investor, you have to have spaces you know, spaces you have a thesis of, and then you have to be able to test the founder before writing a check. A key is to move quickly and invest with conviction and invest in as many companies as possible. Uh, those that in private markets that take a very concentrated approach um, without a very refined thesis are, will, will be burned. It, it doesn't work. And if you're kind of herd mentality investing, you can make money but you're not going to get in at the certain at the certain entry point and then you're going to get pushed out because if if there's a bigger investor on the table um you you become much much less valuable and you get left behind before we go to your second ceo tip how to provide value a short thank you to the sponsors 
Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. Your second CEO tip, how to provide value. So there's two sides of this equation. As an investor, the biggest thing you can bring to the table is a network by far. So when you're investing full time or if you plan on being an angel investor, you are only as strong as your network. So you have to do whatever it takes to get exposure, to, to be able to meet certain people, to be able to make certain introductions that are invaluable to the startup. And part of that is keeping the startup what I call top of mind. So this works both ways. If you as an entrepreneur want to extract value from an investor or an individual, you have to be top of mind for them. You have to update them. You have to get on the call with them. You have to be upfront about what do you want, right? And this type of kind of openness and communication leads to actual transactions occurring, leads to introductions being made, right? If I'm thinking, you know, if I've invested in 30, 40 startups, if you're calling me every week saying, hey, Herschel, I need this, I'm going to be thinking about you. And when I meet that individual through my network, because I'm networking, knowing that this is important, I can facilitate that introduction. So I, I would say the, the biggest, most valuable thing is having a strong network and doing whatever it takes. And, and this it takes years, right? You have to give first to be able to build that network. So whatever you have that's special, whatever you can do that's special, open it up. And start start building today because you're always one degree of separation away from who you want to be with, who you want to know uh, within your network. So, so this is um, this is the most crucial thing for for for, for most entrepreneurs and, and investors alike. Give first, people. Give first and curate your network. How do you curate your network? Do you have a a, a structured approach? Uh, do you have rounds, masterminds that you that you create or that you visit? Oh, it's it's across the board. I, I would say that the, the biggest thing that you have to do is you, you have to align yourselves with individuals who are also willing to open up their networks. And, and you have to hustle to get into these networks. So, you know, for example, if I'm in a private investor group, right? Now, this investor group sees a lot of companies, you know, maybe there's three, four hundred people in it. And, you know, it's private, right? This is a private network. You, you have to have some sort of level of referral to, to be able to get in. So if I'm a, if I'm a new investor, access to this group is is going to change my trajectory. Right. Something that would have taken me a year. Now I'm getting access to today. So let's say you wanted to tap into my network. If, if you were able to provide me some value of, hey, I saw this startup, this is really good, here's a deal, here's an individual you should talk to that's in my network, you better believe I'm going to reciprocate that and say, hey, you, you should join this network, this will help you. Now, if we have an interaction where I feel like this individual has not really given me anything, I'm probably not going to take the first step, right? So th this is something where both people have to be mutually willing to give. And when both people give, those are when actual relationships form. So the individual that got me into that network, I would do anything for that individual, right? He's the one that changed my trajectory, right? So, so it, it is challenging. You will run into issues, but the harder you work, the more people you'll meet, the more open you are, the more value you'll provide, and then things start dominoing. Then you become an individual that people seek out. And once you're that, then you can pick and choose who you let in or out based on their quality and, and based on their ability to execute. What did you recently change your mind about? 
<laughs> so I um, I used to be very generalist and very agnostic, meaning that you know a lot of things used to excite me. A lot of everything still does excite me. Uh, but the reality is, as an investor, um, you do need to have specific areas of of expertise, of value add, of stronger network. That way, you can make. Um, logical, refined decisions because of based on experience, right? Not based on herd mentality, not based on momentum. So, you know, before I used to see specific venture funds that were specifically focused on, let's call it, you know, fintech or marketplaces or whatever it is. And I used to say, you know, why are they limiting themselves to this section, sector? And slowly, you know, I've realized like that's actually brilliant, right? Then you brand yourself as, hey, I'm the best investor in this section. And if you're creating this type of startup, you need me on the cap table, right? And if you have a broad thesis on a particular sector, the, the amount of network effect, the value you can provide is tremendous, right? Because all of this stuff is related because it falls in the same category. So, you know, what I've realized is, you know, before I used to think, hey, let's build a wider network. Let's provide wider value for more people. Now I'm, I'm starting to realize a stacked approach is probably better. Uh, over time, you need to have consumer insights. You need to have, be deep in how you're thinking and you need to have conviction. And the only way to build that is through experience. And, and unfortunately, it cannot be that wide. You, otherwise, you're going to spread yourself too thin and then the actual value you provide is shallow, right? You, you want to be deep in what you're into. I'm curious how you ensure execution for your portfolio companies, because I've seen many, they get a lot of money, but what they really need is the focus on the right KPIs, the challenging question that says, hey, are you doing the fancy stuff this week? And again, you did not you, you did not do the one thing that you need to do this week. You were coding all the time, but you need to ask for the next client or for a referral or, you know, that kind of um, tough love that they need, but also the experience and needed to stay focused in execution. Do you coach them yourself? Do you do you outsource that? Do you have an accelerator? How do you do that? No, no, you you, you have to you have to be hands on. And the the, re the reality is that you know, founders won't know. So uh, you as an investor, you as somebody that's backed them, you as somebody that's written a check and believes in them, you have to pass as much knowledge as possible. So I, I'd say communication is key. Understanding what KPIs to track what they actually mean, how this affects your balance sheet, how this affects your income statement, what specific decisions make, right? Like whether or not to hire you know, or contract, do I need, do I need this tech built in house? Um, and, and to be frank, it actually makes it a lot easier when you have multiple co-founders, right? So, you know, basically what we've been seeing is, you know, and, and, and this is an unpopular opinion, but computer science in general is a, is an overrated degree. Um, the reality is if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, um, engineering is on its way to become commoditized. In fact, you're seeing stuff like no code coming out. Like people can build technology products without a deep, deep understanding of computer science. Now, I'm not saying that it's not important. What I am saying is there's more to entrepreneurship than just technical prowess. And I think that a lot of time engineers actually end up with a narrow focus and missing the big picture, which is the market. Right. So. I look for entrepreneur teams that have a wide array of experience. I want to see that technical co-founder. That's a must. But, but I also need to see somebody with world experience, with customer experience, right? You, you need to have balance within the founding team. And that's what leads to a higher chance of executing at a higher level. So 
you know, at the early stage, you want to focus on growth. You want to focus on finding PM fit. Um, this can actually be justified by by actual cons- customer interactions by by showing that a hundred people really love what I'm doing and I'm building value for this subset of individuals, and then this can scale, right? So um, that's what I would really, really kind of focus on is who are you selling this to, and are they do they like what you're selling? Like, can this thing grow? And, and that, that kind of insights is, is crucial. And it comes from individuals that have a wide experience, not a narrow experience of just building. So, um, I, you know, the, the big thing is just communication, understanding, hey, this is where the founders are strong and this is what they need. This is what they'll need help with. I mean, I've seen amazing technical founders. You tell them, that, hey, you know, this button didn't work. Two seconds later, there's a new build and you're like, wow, these, these, guys, are, these guys are phenomenal. Uh, but but you have to have that consumer insight for it to actually click. It, it, otherwise, the technical, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. So, so know your customer, right? And you know, so whoever that is, understand them on, on a level that nobody else knows. Tell me something. Tell me as an investor something I don't know about this customer base is, is what I always tell founders. This is so powerful. And nobody yet said it so clearly. Engineering is going to be commoditized since the no-code movement is so strong. And I am happy that you say it so clearly. We were we were no-code from the get-go, but still many people don't know what this movement is. Basically, you don't need to build the, the, the technical infrastructure to create a great marketplace or whatever technical solution it is, because you can pick, pull together the pieces that are there and there are enough elements. You just communicate, you, you, you let them talk to each other. So this part says, if this happens, then this happens. And that's a no code uh, movement. You just pull together the parts, there are wonderful parts out there, they're quite cheap actually and you can build a, a global wonderful solution to a problem uh, without having to code anything for many years. Maybe you will later, but definitely the first years, the crucial ones, you can go very far without that. I love it. Do you have some examples? Can you, can you tell our audience a little bit more of a no-code company that's doing well? Um, so generally, uh, I'm okay investing in a no-code company if they've demonstrated some sort of PM fit and a desire to go go and, and kind of take the next step. Um, off the top of my mind, though, n- none of my startups have started no-code. Uh, most of them have had some sort of technical co-founder on the team uh, to, to build. But, but this is the wave. This is the trend, right? So if I have a particular idea that specifically interacts with an individual, um, then, then, or with 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 you know with, with the customer, uh, you can actually prove that this is what people want. So uh, the best examples for current no code companies that are in venture may not actually be tech, but are selling a product uh, would be things like edtech, an individual that creates a site that's able to uh, sell content, or or a D 2 C company that's able to that's able to um, that's able to uh, just reach reach customers via their, their Shopify, you know, whatever it is. So, so th- th- these types of kind of platforms that allow for no code have unlocked a brand new kind of gamut of entrepreneurs. And there's tons of them that have done super well. So I, I you know, for me, I, I like the actual platform build, uh, but entrepreneurs can execute on a business, you know, with a no code solution. And that's totally fine. Right. Before you actually needed some technical co-founder to build something to prove, hey, I have PM fit. 
that's no longer the case. You can actually use one of these platforms to say, you know, people want to buy my, what I'm selling. And then if you need to build something technical, you can do that later down the line. And, and, and to be completely honest, entrepreneurship and investing, while they're related, they are not locked. Like you do not need investment to prove that you're a good entrepreneur. Like do not like do not think that not not everything needs to be venture backed. I mean, one of my favorite examples are individuals that start these newsletter businesses. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, if you if you're able to get um, one person a day to subscribe to your ten dollars a month newsletter, five years from now you'll be making over half a million dollars on that newsletter. Like that's a lot of money for an individual. Like you don't need venture to do that. This is you writing a blog post and getting one subscriber a day. So, you know, I, I personally, one of my big learnings is don't always couple in investment with entrepreneurship. And I tell entrepreneurs that all the time, why are you pitching me? Why do you even need this money? Like you, you can, you can, you don't even, you, are you asking me just to get a valuation just so that you can compare with the person that got in the TechCrunch article? Cause I'm not really interested in that. You can execute this without financing, especially equity financing, which is the most costly type of financing. So um, in terms of specific no-code companies, top of my mind, it would be hard to name. I don't have any of my portfolio, but uh, the wave is coming. And you could see it already with, with D2C companies as well as contact, uh, content providers. So it, it's happening before we speak. Absolutely. I love it. And I also love it that you as an investor say, hey, people, go bootstrap first if you can. And just if you need something, like if you need some, a piece of the puzzle, can be the knowledge, it can be the resources, can be the experience, then, okay, let's talk. But money alone is not the first principle and is, it is, is, is not, a, not a, written, a written law in any, in any form. Absolutely. See, the, what's beautiful is I, I would say if I meet an entrepreneur who's not raising funding, right, who has a bootstrap business that's doing phenomenally well, and we start building a relationship, I will want to invest in that company. I will say, hey, you're executing. Why aren't you taking money? Take my money. I want a piece of your business. That conversation is much different than that individual that I don't have a relationship with that's asking me to invest in their business. See, like he's flipped the tables on me. And and the reality is not every business needs equity funding. It's just- no. Right. You can absolutely even if you need some financing from day one just to get started, just to have a team, whatever it is, you, you can reach out to your network, your friends and family network. You can reach out to individual angels that that are around you. They are. Everyone's one degree away. And if you're not, become friends with entrepreneurs, provide entrepreneurs some value. Right. There's a there's a founder kinship that is sacred. So the more entrepreneurs you meet, the more people that's like how your network will grow and get, guess what my favorite deals are as investors in fact i just wrote a check into a company it's founder referrals so when one founder that i've invested in says hey this is my friend i can vouch for him here's his deal the likelihood of me investing is probably two or three times higher when it comes from somebody i trust who i've given money to so be friends with entrepreneurs right provide some entrepreneurs some value and then they'll open up their network and now guess what it, it stacks and now all of a sudden you have a strong network and all the founders know who you are and all the investors will know who you are as well and then people will want in on your company as long as you're driving value to an end customer i love it we uh, we actually we did at the beginning we did a y combinator month at their startup school and then we got we get we we, we did get some offers 
and 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 we turned them all down we, we didn't even discuss them and then my friends around me were hey why don't you take it it's there and i was like i don't need it that that's not the point the point was being challenged i want of course to be challenged by the by as many bright minds as possible and i will use every chance for them to show me where my business model is broken where my vision is not sharp enough where, where I'm getting off track, what I'm not seeing. That's for me value number one. And then if, yeah, if I need money, we will take it. But before there, uh, no need. I am curious, which books did touch you recently on investing? Yeah, I think uh, Chris Yeah and, uh, and Reid Hoffman's Split Scaling um, is, is very, is, is an awesome read. Uh, so blitzscaling is kind of that venture model and growth at all costs. Uh, it comes with some specific drawbacks, but the reality is that if you have a technology product that you can distribute and get into the hands of as many individuals as possible and create some sort of network effect so people cannot leave, this is the most powerful tool to scale, especially in a software component. So, so blitzscaling, this is fascinating to me because specifically as somebody that's looking at the Indian market, um, this is how those companies become huge is so in, in, within India, you have these smaller kind of tickets, right? Like, yeah, individuals don't have as much buying power as they would in the United States. So in, you, you, you need a big user base in order to justify your own business, right? It's like, okay, if I can get a billion people, maybe $1, that's a billion dollars of ARR, that kind of concept, right? So how do you get a billion people? How do you distribute this? And that book had, tremendous knowledge about distribution and how to grow. I highly, highly recommend it for individuals that are ready to kind of take that step once they hit that PM fit and, and, and really scale a company. And it, it's not all about buying. It's, a, it's about how to create that network effect so that it goes from one person to 50 people based on just that one individual. So really, really interesting stuff. I, had, I really enjoyed it. It's a good read. Blitz scaling, everybody, not just for the Silicon Valley. Blitz scaling. Everything comes down to distribution. That's like the big key. And how do you get your your product, your software, whatever you're building, how do you get it in the hands of as many people as possible and create a network effect? So highly recommend reading it. Beautiful. And um, what was maybe more of a, a personal book that touched you? <laughs> you know, I... Um, I I have always kind of been been a big fan of uh, oh it's 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 kind of odd but you know it's in 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 our culture we we have a specific story um, called the Mahabharata and that, that's been very close to me for a while it's an ancient mythology um, and you know because I work with my family it's, it's it's a fascinating concept of kind of infighting how to solve things and and the, the big thing of, of how to just execute. Right, how to not hesitate. Um, uh, something that I hold very dear. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's not it's not very religious, but but it, as a from a mythology standpoint, very very fascinating story. Uh, I would highly recommend anybody. Even even the TV show is is quite it's it's quite funny, but I, I would recommend you know grabbing some specific snippets, good 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 wholesome stories in there, and some crazy ones. So take a look. My family said, Simon, you're crazy. What did you buy again? Because Amazon brought such a brick of books. It's 12, it, it's 12 pieces and it's the Mahabharata. 
And uh, it's a beautiful edition. Every single book has one animal on it. It's it's beautiful. And uh, I, and I I I, I have a, a passion for the essential books. So the pre the pre modern books, the books that are always always worth reading, and trying to read more of them. So if you can, in a couple sentences, promote uh, it a little bit. Uh, what is what is the for for these times? Is it the warrior ethos? Is it the navigating complexity and destruction and and creativity? What is it that people can take from it if they read it now? I think it's mostly a concept of not hesitating, right? Like if if you honestly believe that you're on this planet to do a specific task, don't don't even think about it. Just do it. Just act, right? The more you kind of overthink the more you get stuck. So um, going from zero to one, is just going from zero to one. You know, we, we have, uh, I have this kind of thought process of, of individuals who are thinking about getting an entrepreneurship, you know, what, what I call, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, nothing bad, but just individuals that, you know, ha- feel like they have a higher purpose or maybe working for somebody trying to figure it out. Maybe they don't have risk capacity. Maybe they don't have, don't have the ability to go do something, um, which, you know, Everybody has their own challenges, but if if that if that if that fire is in you, you you have to act on it. Otherwise, you'll remain unsatisfied forever. So so part of where I look at it, it's like a graph, right? You have you know, and you you know you have uh, basically you know getting start you have you know zero and one, right? So it's okay to be at zero, right? Like that's great. You know, it's not okay to be at point five because being at point five means that you're putting in effort. And it's not going anywhere. Like you're not, it's not enough. You just have to go to one. So, you know, if, if you're going to do something, do it all out. Don't do it with one foot in, one foot out. Really hone in on, hey, this is what I'm doing and announce it. Tell people, this is what I'm doing. Like be shameless. You know, the individuals that have a hard time kind of taking that step or telling people, hey, this is what I'm doing. They end up in no man's land. And if you're in no man's land, you're doing nothing for no one. And, and that's like a huge waste of your time. So it's okay. Be at zero. That That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to go to one, just go to one. Don't, don't go into three. So that, I think that's I love it. Yeah. one of the bigger lessons it taught me. Don't hesitate. Very relevant, relevant principle for these times, for any times. But especially for these funky times. I also, I also was very touched. Last week I read by Stephen Pressfield, Turning Pro which has a very similar um, direction. It says, I was at zero, I went to 0.2, I was miserable in life, I had no direction. I then decided to go pro, which basically to go full in, to go one. And that changed everything. Not just my not just my trajectory, but my life, my energy level, my clarity, my purpose in life. Uh, his relationship. So it's a wonderful book about how to really become a writer, but it, it can be in any context, how to really become a pro and, and get serious at what you do. Absolutely. I love it. Wow. And um, who should be my next guest? Uh, I would say my partner. Uh, you know, one of my good friends, He, uh, the two of us have been investing in India for a little a few months now is fascinating. His uh, name's Brendan Rogers, who's co-founder of a company called WAG. Um, fascinating guy. Just went through ups and downs as an entrepreneur, 
highly recommend you take him on as a guest. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, scale the business to 4,000 cities. Uh, knows ins and outs of marketplaces. Uh, would, would highly recommend him on the program. I think your listeners and, 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 and readers would, would gain a lot from him. Thank you so much for being on the show. Herschel Meta, everybody. Thank you for sharing the journey and the knowledge with us. Please come back soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you, you inviting me. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.